Name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So I'm confident today we're going to get into chapter 3. So we're going to have a breakthrough in our Bible study. So we left off at verse 27, chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. That was the last verse we discussed. Any questions about what we discussed last week? Alright, so with that being said, let's just uh, read these last two verses of the chapter and then we'll start chapter 3 uh, on its own. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Okay, good. Take a moment to read that one more time on your own. And we'll talk about it. So what do you guys think about um, those two verses? What's the first thing that comes to mind? That if we abide in Him, that um, like in, in His second coming, that we have confidence in, that, in our salvation in Him. Hmm. Okay. So, what does that mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> you asked what this meant. <laughs> um, so long as like I have a personal relationship with Christ, that. Um, that regardless of what I've done or whatever the case may be, that I have confidence that I will have salvation in Him. Uh, that's why it says, you have confidence and not be ashamed, because the only thing that would bring shame would be sin. Mm. Um, so that He would be covering our sins and having that confidence in Him gives us an eternal life. Okay. Who, who here is comfortable saying, I'm confident that I will have salvation and have eternal life with him. One hand over. Two hands. You have to because you mentioned that's how you interpret it. <laughs> so there's the, so we have to live with that feeling. Yeah. But it's it's thing is you could lose it but you can't like you can't earn it, right? There's nothing you can't it's a faith, like salvation is like your faith, it's not, right. there's nothing that I could do to earn it, he's already given it, but there's something, if I don't abide in him, then I lose that, that gift, right? Good, good, very well put. So, in our real life, 
forget about the spirituality of this topic, but just talking about real life. What gives you salvation? What gives you confidence in something? Think about sports or work or whatever. Doing it right or accomplishing it. Okay, your accomplishments. Your success doing it right. What else? Your, your belief. If you... Okay, believing in yourself and yourself, your work. Yeah. Very good. What else? Trusting in yourself. Other people trusting in you, maybe. Like others affirming you. So, in, in real life situations, our confidence is dependent on the, the situation. It's dependent on our own condition. It depends on our reputation. If we have a good reputation, we're going to be confident. If we're successful, we're going to be more confident. If people are uh, praising us or just affirming our work, validating our value or whatever it is, we're going to be confident. Is this the case for our spiritual life? Because our confidence depends on our spiritual reputation or achievements or success. No, it's not. What is it, what is our confidence dependent on? Christ. On Christ. It is that he died for us and then mm-hmm. he's resurrected. It's our faith that he died, resurrected, and then brought Very that barrier. Very good. It's, it's dependent on the reality of that gift he gave us, on his work for us, that he died for us and overcame death for us. Okay? So if you look at the, the Father's thoughts on confidence, it's always in regards to that reality. The understanding of our confidence in salvation always goes back to that, our confidence in His work for us. Okay, so check out what St. Clement of Alexandria says. Before I actually share this quote with you, I know I've been throwing out some quotes by the fathers, but I haven't really explained a whole lot about which fathers I'm sharing with you, but just for like uh, a little side note, it's just good information to know. Saint Clement of Alexandria comes from the Alexandrian school of thought. is one of the very early uh, church fathers from the second century, and he's very famous for uh, fighting against uh, Gnostic heresies. So Gnosticism was the thought that salvation or eternal life will come through attaining this. Uh, ultimate source of knowledge, that um, knowledge is this very unique thing that we have to, uh, to reach. It was a, a sort of a philosophy, right? And uh, that spiritual knowledge uh, was in opposition to the physical world. So they thought that everything physical is evil, everything, and the spiritual knowledge is the final aim for our life. Okay, so his his writings will make sense whenever you see this quote, so I want you to understand the context. So, the aim of all of his writings was to tell us that, yes, knowledge is important to pursue, but it is in knowing Christ, not in knowing some sort of 
uh, esoteric philosophy and, and knowing uh, something that only a select few of people can achieve and there's nothing wrong with the physical material world okay so he says when the Lord appears at his second coming the one who knows the Son and the Father according to knowledge will have confidence and will not be confounded for confusion is a great punishment okay so you see the link between our confidence and knowledge which is essentially our relationship with him and coming closer to him so again uh, throughout this time in the second century there's a lot of a lot of heresies going on that um, like this ultimate philosophy was the goal for our life is to achieve this mysterious knowledge but for Christianity there is nothing mysterious or elaborate or uh, this great philosophical idea that we have to achieve it's just simply knowing Christ okay and and in knowing him that's where we have our confidence and having a relationship with him that's where we are confident in what he has done for us and in in knowing the son we know the father that's why we always go back to knowing the father through the son that's why he says, the one who knows the Son and the Father according to knowledge will have confidence and will not be confounded. Okay? And, and it's interesting that he says what the opposite of confidence and knowledge in Christ is, which is confusion. Right? So if we don't know him, we have no confidence in him. Right? Not, but not only that, but our confusion becomes a great punishment for us because we have no clarity in our life. We're not walking in the light. We're, we're not walking in the truth. So the, the obscurity, that confusion, that distortion in our minds because we don't know Him, we don't know the truth, becomes agonizing. It's like a source of punishment. Okay? Um, it's a very, very interesting concept. Anything you guys want to add to that? Now, where does where does the the the, the link in our confidence in Him and our knowledge of Him? Come from abiding in him. Abiding in him. Okay. What does it start with? You know, in order to build your life in a relationship with him, what is that first step we take? Approaching him. Approaching him. So what? What I want to get at is like that first step that leads us to our knowledge of Him and having confidence in Him. Baptism. Baptism. Think more practically now. Communion. It's like, think, think of... Uh, 
taking taking a if you're gonna drop everything and go seek him, you have to have what? You wouldn't just. You have you have to have uh, a reason to pursue something, right? What is that? No desire. The desire. You have to have faith, right? You have to have faith that he is there and he has done what you guys just spoke about. So you guys spoke about it, but you just didn't. I mean, say it word for word. Like what you, the first thing you said, that I'm confident that he has given me salvation. What does that sound? That sounds like your faith, right? You, you said you believe that he died for me and resurrected and gave me eternal life. That's your faith in him. And, and that's like the very first step that we take, like our, our spiritual life always starts with a step of faith. Does that make sense? Okay. St. John Chrysostom says, what is, the con what is the beginning of confidence? It means faith, through which we subsisted and have come to be and have been made to share in being. Faith, through which we subsisted and have come to be. So, faith that He has given us life, we have come to be, and have been made to share in being, in, in, in having a relationship with Him. So, unless we have faith in what He has done, in, in the whole economy of salvation, in our own personal lives, we have nothing to build confidence on. Otherwise, we're looking at a bunch of frail reasons based on our own achievements to build confidence. And that doesn't give us any way. Because all our achievements are lacking. So there's not much substance to build confidence there. We're, we're, we're sinful. We're lacking so many things. So our confidence is not in us. But it's in what He has done for us, in what He has given us. And it always comes by faith. So, faith produces confidence. And as much as your faith grows in Him, your confidence grows in His faithfulness for you. So, it's a very beautiful sort of cycle. The more my faith grows, the more I am confident in Him and I approach Him boldly and I even test Him. As the scripture says, test me if you will give of your tithes and see if I will not give you more blessings than you can even hold. And I continue to grow and I continue to seek Him more often and I continue to know Him more intimately. And the more I know Him, the more my faith grows, right? So there's a cycle. And the more my faith grows, the more my confidence in Him increases. And that's essentially what we, we want to, to reach. The point where we can say, I am confident in the salvation He has given me. 
and, and by the grace of God, I will have eternal life with Him. Okay? Any comments? Questions? Anything yeah, I just want to add? It's not a, um, is it, I don't know, lack of a better term, is it prideful to think that you have salvation in Him? It was actually, was going to be my next question. Oh. <laughs> <coughs> Let me share with you a little example of this concept of confidence and faith, and then I want to entertain this question. All right? So, there was uh, a story that always stuck with me. Uh, a little boy fell into a pit. And uh, he was crying out for help. He couldn't get out. Obviously, the pit was way too big for him to climb out. And so, he uh, kept crying and crying and crying out, yelling for people to help him. Suddenly, uh, a couple of big, strong men came and they said, okay, we're here, we heard you yelling, we're going to throw a, a rope down and uh, we're going to pull you up. Um, and he said, no, 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 I, I don't think that's going to work. I, I, I don't know if uh, you'll be able to pull me up. And he said, what do you mean? We're both very strong men, you're just a young boy, we could easily pull you up with just one of us says, no, listen, my dad is back in the village. Please go yell out for him, call him to come, and I know he's going to help me out. He's like, what do you mean? Is your dad stronger than us? He says, no, actually, you both are bigger than my dad, but I know for a fact my dad will never let the rope go. So, as simple as that example is, the child knows his dad. Like he knows how faithful his dad is. His dad has never disappointed him before. Okay? And because he knows his dad, he has faith in him. He doesn't have faith in his own ability to hold on to the rope while his dad is going to pull him up. He has faith in his dad being faithful. That his dad will not let go of the rope no matter what. So... Because of his faith in his dad, he has confidence that his dad will be able to pull him up. That his dad will save him. So he has confidence in his own salvation and him being saved from this predicament because of his faith in his dad. Okay? There's, this is a very simple way to look at it. When you think of our confidence, think of this confidence in, in this little boy. Alright, so now back to Jack's question. Does, does confidence imply a lack of humility? If I were to say, I'm confident that I will be saved. Or, I'm confident that I will have eternal life with Him. I don't think so, because even in the example that you just shared... The confidence isn't in like his ability to hold the rope better. His confidence in his dad's faithfulness to pull the rope. So it's the the confidence is in his side, not my side. Yes, perfect. So 
The problem is the way we approach this question and in our Western civilization people come and ask us uh, are you saved? Um, are you confident in your salvation? And the question just comes off awkwardly. But the question is not a matter of my own ability, but just like you're saying, confidence in His grace. Okay? And that's essentially what justifies us, and that's essentially what moves our faith into action. Because there's no way that kid would have, would have been saved if he didn't hold on to the rope and let his dad pull him up. So there's still a part to be done on the kid. He doesn't just say, I have faith and confidence in my dad, so I just get to sit back in this hole and he's just going to snap his fingers and a cloud is going to come swoop me up. Right? So that's why we know faith without works is dead. So there, there, there is something to work for your faith. The work will show for it. Okay? But the confidence is in His work in your life. Confidence in, is in His grace. Okay? Father Bishoy um, Kamen said a, a quote that um, I actually kept this quote with me uh, since our Egypt missionary trip. <laughs> so, uh, over 10 years now. This was the quote I had on my notebook throughout uh, those 2-3 uh, weeks we were going around. <coughs> so he says, We are saints, and denying this title is not a lack of humility, but a lack of faith in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, so that's pretty bold. But... People come and say, oh, I'm nothing, and I know I'm just a sinner. And, and, and of course, we keep our sins before us at all times, and we are conscious of our shortcomings. But to deny His work in our lives is a lack of faith. Okay? Because what does that tell you whenever you come and say, uh, I'm nothing, there's, you know, mafish faida, I'm, not, I'm never gonna uh, be a good servant. And you're not cutting yourself short, you're cutting God short. Because you're saying God is incapable of making something out of you. And that's precisely what lack of faith looks like. So it's not, it's a, a lot of times, We'll, we'll read all of these big stories of saints who walk the path of humility, especially in the ascetics and the monks, and we distort humility to, to look like this. But humility is not a lack of faith. Humility is to know that we are nothing without Him. But we have to also admit the inverse of that, that we are everything with Him, that we can do all things through Him. And if, we, if, we, if I can't say with St. Paul, I can do all things with Christ, through Christ, then I'm limiting Christ. Okay? 
So I have to say, I can do all things through Christ. If I don't say that, I'm limiting His work in my life. So that's, that's essentially what gives us confidence. Any comments? Yeah. Um, it reminds me of the parable of the talents, personally, and so I'm just like, we are each given a gift, and we say we aren't given a gift, then we aren't allowing God's work in us. Yeah. We, and and if, if we kind of um, fool ourselves, that's, that's whenever um, the devil comes and plants these seeds in our hearts and says, well, um, you, you're, you're not really being lazy, you're just being humble because, you know, you're not this big servant or, not, you know, kind of like disguises this humility and, and so we don't invest or we kind of cut ourselves short. And I, I think this actually has a big thing to do with uh, people with low self-esteem or people suffering through depressions. I think there is a lack of confidence in Him. And the more we come to know Him, the more our depression, our low self-esteem is absorbed in our confidence in Him. The more we see His love in us, and the more we see His image in us, and that wipes away any thoughts of um, depression or low self-esteem and so on. And that will obviously incline us to, to commit and um, to continue investing in our spiritual life. Alright, so he ends this very last um, chapter we, we talked about. If we know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. So, Steve, you mentioned something just a few minutes ago about being born of Him. Your baptism? Baptism. Very, very good. Okay, so, hold on to this thought Right there, we're not going to get into being born of him right now because it's going to connect into these next few verses. But in commenting on this verse, the fathers tell us that being born of him means to be born again by faith. Being born of him means to be born again by faith. This is what St. Clement of Alexandria says. We just mentioned the very last quote about knowing him. So, this alludes to our baptism and our repentance, okay? And so we're going to see the link between that and these next couple of verses. So let's just read from uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to, to 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. 
Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not and it has been not yet revealed that we shall be, but we know that when we when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Okay. Take another uh, moment to read that and uh, we'll discuss it together. Alright, so notice what he repeats here. He repeats this twice. What does he call us? Children of God. Very good. So, remember how the very last chapter ended. So he says that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And here again, he calls us children of God, therefore the world does not know us because he did not know him, beloved, now we are children of God. So, what makes us born again is precisely what makes us children of God. Okay? So, the the the, the, the chapters kind of transition into each other because when we are born of Him, we are baptized, right? We're born again. And having been baptized, we become children of God. Perfect. Okay, so I just want to make sure you see the clarity of this link, but it's, it's a lot more explicit in uh, St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. So just look at these two verses here. Galatians 3, 26-27 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in, Je in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Okay? So, very clear. The link between having been made sons or children of God and having been baptized into Christ. He said, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So when we have a share in His inheritance, we become sons of God, we become like Christ, right? And that's what serves as, as our adoption, to be sons of God the Father. Okay? Does that make sense? Notice here that he says, for all, for you are all sons of God. He says sons. 
very different than what he says in uh, the first epistle of John. In, in John's epistle, what does he say? Children. Children. Alright, so is St. John just trying to be a little more politically correct? And like, <coughs> you know, we've got to include the women, so not just sons, all children. <laughs> Yeah. So, what is specific for the son as as a child, as opposed to a daughter? Inheritance. Inheritance. Perfect. Some translations will actually for. For the sake of trying to be like politically sensitive and 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 I, I guess more of like a, a feminist movement within the scriptures will try to uh, translate this for you're all sons and daughters of God, but at the expense of taking away a, a profound meaning here. Like the 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 scripture is not really concerned about political correctness. It's just, we're speaking truth. <laughs> and it's actually to the women's advantage that this says sons. <laughs> because if it doesn't say sons, then you are also not entitled to what is granted to all the sons. Okay? He says you are all Sons. So all, he's not just saying, you men are sons. Okay? You're all sons. So you're all inheriting what the son inherits. Which is the, the woman. Which is, yes, exactly. So uh, no, culturally yeah. speaking, the that's old, exactly yeah, what. Old, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly how it was. Old, yeah. And, and uh, the, the son is the heir. So he's basically, you're all heirs. He's not trying to just be like a patriarchal sort of message. You're all heirs. So here you're all children of God is, is expressing the same concept. I, I just wanted to bring your attention to how St. Paul puts it because it's a little clearer here. Okay. So we are children of God. We have the inheritance of salvation. So, no one earns sonship. <laughs> this is exactly what Jack was alluding to earlier. Like, no one earns salvation the same way as, like, I did not earn being the only son of my parents. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, like, tweak the genes, I didn't do anything. Okay? I had no influence on that. Same way, in our reception of Christ's work for us. That none of us did anything to earn His love for us on the cross. Okay? And so with that being said, we are granted the grace of being sons of God and, and what that entails. It means we have access to all the things that He has given us. Um, St. Peter says, his divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So, 
that makes much more sense being sons and heirs of, of God. Then Mr. Blind says, by writing these, these, thing, these things, John is exhorting his readers to recognize what it means to be born again of God. He tells them that they are now worthy to be loved as children of God, even in this world, and that the adoption of sons is a reality here and now. So, what really qualifies us to be children of God is what he said at the end of that last chapter, is to be born of him, exactly. So, he, he, then Mr. Bible is saying, John is exhorting his readers to recognize what it means to be born again of God. This is what it means to repent. is to realize the inheritance that has slipped through our hands because of our shortcomings or our sins, our laziness or whatever it is. So to, to, to be born again is to regain the inheritance we lost. Okay? It's like, it's, it's somebody go, going back to claim what was his. We're reclaiming what is ours by, by his grace. Okay? So that's, that's a product of our repentance. That is our constant baptism. Okay? That is our second baptism. Alright? Any comments or things you want to add? Something else that comes out of being his children is, is, is just the, the dynamic of that relationship that a child has with his father. It's not just receiving the inheritance in the sense of receiving the possessions that's handed down to that person. It's not just the, the money or the land or whatever it is. Whenever we think of receiving an inheritance, we think of receiving material things. Okay? But what we really do receive, which is worth more than anything, is His love. And, and His love it has to be understood as the love of a father to a child. That's very specific. The love of a father to a child is very different than a love of a friend for a friend. It's very different than uh, a love for a neighbor. A love that a father has for a child is... Uh, only a father understands. I mean, it's, it's about like something deep within your heart, okay? So this is what Bede says. The grace of our Creator is so great that He has allowed us both... Sorry.
The grace of our Creator is so great that He has allowed us both to know Him and to love Him. And moreover, to love Him as children, love a wonderful Father. It would be no small thing if we were able to love God in the way that a servant loves his master, or a, co or a worker his employer. But loving God as a f as Father is much greater still. He said, it wouldn't be a small thing if we were to love him as servants. I mean, even a servant enjoys the benefits of uh, his master's provisions. A good master that loves his servants is going to be fair, is going to provide for his needs. Or a good, a good master that loves his workers is going to be fair and provide for their needs and to take care of them. I mean, if we were to be loved as servants, if we were to be loved as workers, that's not a small thing, that's a big thing, right? But this goes way beyond that. Not the Christianity. It's beautiful. <coughs> That, that we are loved as sons and daughters. Alright, anything you guys want to add before we move on? Just going to discuss the, the end of that passage. So that's pretty much how he starts in giving us that, that title. Okay. Now he continues to say, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Alright, what does that mean? What does it mean that we shall see Him as He is? Perfect. So this is actually, it only makes sense when we understand the relationship that he's alluding to by giving us that title as children. Okay? Because a son or a daughter knows the father intimately. And not only knows about his father, but reflects his father. Okay? Actually imitates his father. He follows his father's footsteps. He tries to be like him. Okay? So he sees himself in his father's image. That's why. Children are, are very influential, especially when it comes to the relationship that they have with their father. Okay, so Severus of Antioch explains this. says, Therefore, we live as children of God, even in this present life, sanctifying ourselves by virtue and striving toward the likeness of something even better. Encouraged by this, we shall be fashioned according to the brightness of the resurrection, 
when we shall see him in so far as that is possible as he is. So, spiritually speaking, we sanctify ourselves by virtue and striving to be like him. This is exactly what a son growing up does. He tries to imitate his dad. He, he tries to do whatever he's doing. Okay? He tries to basically set himself apart to reflect what his dad is doing. Now, whenever he grows up, he has a little more individuality and he wants to, you know, be a, a little stubborn and, you know, pursues his own freedom. That's a different story. But think of like the innocent, uh, growing child. Okay? This is exactly what we do in our spiritual life. To, to be sanctified is to be set apart, to be dedicated to Him. And so we are dedicated to reflecting Him. We're dedicated to the pursuit of being like Him. Okay? So, that's what it means for us to see Him as He is. Because we see our reflection in Him. We are created in His image and His likeness. And so the more we become like Him, who do we see in ourselves? Him. So if you want to see Him, you don't need to look far, because He is within you. You don't need to, like, drive to the monasteries and see, like, this monk that's performing miracles and to see all these things that people want to be entertained by. Like, when the Pope comes, people are, like, fighting to go take communion from the Pope. Like... <laughs> It's not any, community is not any different from him than any other priest. Like, we all get distracted by all of the, like, extravaganzas that are going on. We try to find him in other places. When in fact he's within us. We are created in his image and in his life. And there's no better place to find him than within our hearts. He says, the kingdom of heaven is within you. So, find him in his kingdom, which is within you. And in, in as much as you sanctify yourself, you set yourself apart, you dedicate your life to him, his image becomes clearer within you. That's why people that are close to God don't feel lonely. Our, our, you know, monks feel like whenever they are living righteously, feel like they have more than enough company. Because Christ is not just this distant idea, but He's real. He's very close. Nowadays, all the junior high kids and the high school youth can't sit alone for two minutes of their lives depended on it. 
it's, it's, it's tragic. <coughs> it's a huge tragedy. And, and it's sad because the, the devil has struck at the heart of the spiritual fight. The spiritual fight is to first find God within. Is, is to be alone in solitude, is to um, detach from the world and to connect with Him. If we can't connect with Him, then what's left to do? <laughs> right? That's exactly how Christ began His ministry. That's how everybody began their spiritual journey. That's how St. Paul began his, his work. Three years of just prayer, fasting, learning, Christ in the wilderness. That's why we're fasting now, it's our nativity. So, I hope we understand this, that we shall see Him as He is, that we find His reflection within us, in as much as we can sanctify our hearts, and we strive toward virtues. Alright, anything you guys want to add to that? What does it mean by... It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. So, this is this is very interesting. In um, in Second Corinthians, Saint Paul some, says something very similar to this, where he says, uh, "Right now we see with veiled faces, but then um, we're will be transformed from glory to glory." Okay, because now we are fighting against our physical senses, we have the veiled faces because of the circumstances and the limitations of our flesh. Yet, when the time comes, after our death, um, we, we will see Him in a different light. Because He will reveal Himself to us based on the degree that we have sanctified our lives here on earth, which will be magnified, okay? So we understand that in, in regards to how we will see Him in eternity, right? And everyone's experience of eternity will be different based on the degree to which we sanctify ourselves on earth. Think of your life here on earth as you trying to refine your trajectory toward God. Okay? Like you're just aiming an arrow. Your whole life is just one big effort to aim as accurately as possible. And when the day of your death, <coughs> the way that arrow is aimed will continue on course forever. The closer your aim is towards God, is the greater your experience and the glory will be in heaven. And in that much will your experience of Him be magnified, and your relationship with Him, and your knowledge of Him. Um, and there's different ranks and glories that we know will, will come in heaven. Does that make sense? Yeah? Make sense? No? Okay. Yeah, so. Now, <clears throat> even though we have this privilege as sons to be in His likeness, we have to practice it. 
because not every son enjoys the inheritance. Not every son is faithful. Um, you see Jacob and Esau, perfect example of someone betraying his birthright. Right? And even though um, Esau had the inheritance as his own birthright, he was not faithful as the first son. And so we can lose it. We can lose it. St. Paul himself says, lest, uh, lest while I preach, I become disqualified. So not every son automatically gets an inheritance. We have to be faithful sons and remain in the house. Now the prodigal son wasted his, his inheritance and he left by God's grace, we, we learned from the parable that there were always second chances, but if he were to remain outside of the house, he would have lost all his inheritance. Okay? Any comments or questions? Okay, so Let's stop there. I'll give you guys just a few minutes to reflect on that. And uh, it, it's a good time for us to, uh, to reflect on our inheritance and what we have received. Obviously, it's the season of giving and receiving gifts all about Christmas. And so we kind of look at that spiritually and think about our relationship with Him and think about whether we are born of Him, whether we are practicing a life of repentance to, to enjoy the Sonship that He has given us. So we'll just take a few minutes to reflect on that and then we'll pray. It's also good to think about our confidence and faith in Him from, from all that we said as well.
Right, so something that just came to mind um, while I was meditating, <coughs> just the last couple of minutes, when Christ is uh, talking to the multitude in the Beatitudes, uh, remember what he said about purity? He said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. See God. So it's interesting because we talked about that very last verse of the passage, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. So he talked about sanctifying ourselves and, and imitating him, being like him. That's essentially what enables us to see him, to purify ourselves, to sanctify ourselves. So that's why he says, blessed are the pure heart, for they shall see God. So after he says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then the very next thing he says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's very, very interesting.